It's time to swing into the golf world of today with Springdale Golf Live. Sponsored by TaylorMade and the New Jersey Golf Foundation. Now, here's your host, the director of fun, Keith Stewart. Members, friends, and players, good afternoon and welcome to Springdale Golf Live. I'm your host, Keith Stewart, the director of fun, and I'll be here entertaining you on this Friday afternoon. Thank you for tuning in to ESPN 920. You know, right about now, you're kind of wondering if you heard me correctly. Well, you did. What was once the jersey is now the new ESPN 920. So as the song goes, there's some changes here at 920, and we couldn't be more excited. After all, who doesn't want to be a part of Disney World? Sounds like fun to me. All right, folks, you know it. It's time for the pro show. Turn it up. That test. Today, we have a fabulous newspaper pundit. He covers many sports for the New York Post and has for decades. This afternoon, we have Mark Canizzaro with us to talk a little golf. It's Tour Championship Week in Atlanta, and I cannot think of a better person to help us put this 2019-2020 PGA Tour season into perspective. Mark, welcome to Springdale Golf Live. What's going on in your world today? Uh, not too much, Keith. I'm kind of in the mode of uh, I cover a lot of golf, uh, and, and obviously I'm on the our golf writer at the New York Post, but I also cover a lot of football. So this is the time of year where I'm kind of juggling Giants and Jets and football. I've done four or five of the PGA Tour events since the restart in June, so that's been you know an interesting run. Obviously, uh, you know, within the new COVID age that we've been in as well. Well, before we go down that rabbit hole that is the NFL, let's just stick to golf today, all right? So it's Tour Championship Week, and I, you know, I'm kind of curious, as somebody who spends some time on the road, do you feel like the atmosphere changes when it gets down to that final 30 and they know they're competing for, you know, in the past, maybe it was $10 million, but this year it's $15 million? It definitely changes, there's no question, because there's more, there's more on the line, and, uh, you know, the atmosphere in general has been, has been changed just with, you know, in, in COVID here with no fans. Uh, that's been something to get used to. Uh, obviously, with you know, the tour has been playing since June in its restart, uh, you know, which at the Colonial, which I, which I was at. Um, but there's no question, you know, I think the cynics among us, you know, golf fans will say, oh, you know, these guys are all millionaires, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, when you got a chance to win 15 million bucks, that's a pretty, that's a pretty big deal. So, uh, yeah, there's no question. And I do like the way they've, they've reformatted this thing to try to, you know, add relevance to the Tour Championship. The guy that, that leads the FedEx Cup Series is not as easily bounced, so to speak, you know, from winning it. You know, they used to, they used to wait – they used to weigh the, uh, um, the Tour Championship a little bit too heavily, I think, in this playoff series. And now, obviously, you know, Dustin Johnson will go in with a, you know, with, with a lead on, on his competitors, you know, when he gets rolling, uh, you know, on Friday. Well, you know, we're talking about Dustin. And two weeks ago, he shoots 30 under and he wins the event, TPC Boston, Northern Trust. And then a week later, he shoots four under and gets in a playoff. And, and he very could have easily won uh, the second one in a row. From your perspective, because you follow week to week, how hard was the BMW championship with respect to TPC Boston? Well, it was hard for a few reasons. First of all, it was very soft up in Boston that week through the golf course. So, uh, and they had pretty, pretty benign conditions over there. So, I mean, because that golf course is not... I mean, it's not one of the toughest, certainly, on the tour, but it's not, a, it's not as, as much of a pushover as 30 under should suggest. Uh, but it, it, at the BMW, the, you know, it was – you know, it's interesting. I, I covered the 2003 U.S. Open there, the Jim Furyk one at, at Olympia Fields, and I was 
I don't want to be nasty about it, but it was just a non-memorable golf course to me. I, I mean, I'm usually somebody who really remembers holes and things like that at courses. You know, and again, that was that was a while ago now, but uh, um, I, I I was surprised at, at, at the players' uh, reverence for the setup at, at Olympia Fields last week. The players were not ripping it for being hard. They actually were complimenting it for its setup and how hard it was. And, and you know, you, you mentioned Dustin you have to compliment Dustin Johnson for, you know, people when he first came out thought he was just this long bomber, right? You know, I think you have to really look at the fact that he was able to win a golf tournament 30 under and then the following week in a completely different circumstance, golf, golf course conditions, he had to win a completely different way, which, you know, is probably the highest compliment you can pay a golfer, as you know, as a, as a head pro. You bring up a great point there. And, you know, honestly, I, I want to go back to something you said a minute ago. If I looked at the last 20 U.S. Opens, I don't want you to feel bad, but Olympia Fields really wouldn't be probably in my bottom two or three as far as being memorable. And, you know, it, it's a great golf course and a great city, but I think maybe they knew that. And there maybe that was a petition last week to do something great going forward because they definitely revamped their style. There's no doubt about that. And it's like Dustin had to revamp his style going week to week. So everyone jumped on the bandwagon and said, well, this is like a U.S. Open preview. Does that make Rom and DJ the favorites going into Wingfoot next week if we jump ahead? Uh, you know, I, I'm a believer that the hot golfer is, is certainly somebody, you know, to, to bet on, so to speak. But I also am a believer that things change so drastically from week to week. And that's why you just so rarely see I mean, when you saw DJ winning two weeks in a row, that just doesn't happen that often. You know, I mean, and, and you know, you know, as a pro, how difficult it is to win any golf tournament, let alone a tour tournament. So, yeah, I mean, if you're asking me, should those two guys be heavy favorites going into the U.S. Open? I would say yes, because they're both on form. Right. And uh, but there's going to be a lot of other guys that will have good chances that have been that have been in pretty good form this year as well at the U.S. Open. And, and you know, I, 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 I can tell you right now, I know the rough will be very, very difficult to deal with at wing foot. You know, you, you're up in the area here, so, you know, uh, and I've also heard from a couple of people, you know, that I know up there that are, you know, that have been up there. They had a media day last week, actually, and I was not a, didn't get a chance to get up there because I was away with my family. But uh, I understand the rough was very, very difficult already. So, um, yeah, I think, listen, I always look at the hot player, but I don't think it's an automatic that just because, you know, Dustin Johnson's on a, on a, on a run that he's going to go win wing foot because it's just so different from week to week. There's no doubt the rough is going to be tough at Wingfoot. I think I could see it from Princeton already. It's, it, <laughs> you're, standing in it. you're standing in it from Princeton right yeah, now. I mean, it's, it, I'm sure it's going to be very difficult. And you know what, folks, if you're just joining us, we have Mark Canizaro with us, author, writer, Ithaca College alumni. Everyone gets romanticized by number one and two having a, a duel at the BMW championship last week. And, you know, they're like, oh, and we need match play and we need this and that. And we need to tweak the tour championship. You know, you touched upon this earlier. It seems like the Tour Championship is kind of finding its own, the staggered start with the scoring. How do you feel about the Tour Championship? Would you tweak anything? I think I like the way they have it right now. Um, as, I, as I said earlier, when we were, we were, I brought it up, I mean, he, I, I feel like the way they had it before, when they weren't staggering it, it was it just it, it wasn't working you know and i think they had to do something to do that to reward the guys that were that were that were grinding all year to get all these fedex cup points you know yet you, you know early on you had guys that were just kind of you know turning up at the tour championship and, and weren't anywhere near the top of the, of the points list 
and winning the thing, you know, so winning the whole thing. So they had to do it that way. And, you know, it, Rory showed us last year that, it, you know, it does, doesn't matter whether – I mean, I can't remember – he was four or five shots off the pace, I want to say, last year and ends up over overtaking uh, number one and winning the, winning the big pot of gold. So, uh, you know, though that number – looks like if you're Dustin Johnson fan and you're looking at that number and say, okay, he's got a one shot lead over Rom and a two shot lead over blah, 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 down the line. You know, that, that's, that can change pretty quickly in a, in a, in a tournament, you know, and that could change in the first nine holes of the tournament on Friday, you know? So um, yeah, it's going to be harder for the guys that are, that are 10 shots back, of course, as it should be. And I like that. I think that's the way I like it, you know, the way it's done it that way, because it's kind of, it makes it more fair. Well, Rory said it himself on Sunday when he was interviewed after his round. He said, you know, if somebody has a two-shot lead on me for 72 holes, that's nothing. Yeah. Uh, that, that doesn't mean anything. But it does beg the question, I mean, how far back is too far back? The top 10 guys um, are at minus four, right? That's the furthest back. That's six behind DJ in the form that he's in. Do you feel like that's kind of like the cut line, like six back over four days? Or can we go to the – Brendan Todd's and, and I'm asking that question for a reason because there's two guys McElroy and Shoffley that are at minus three that are seven behind yeah. that you know Rory's got the baby you know he just had it on Monday he now his mind maybe is clear he may not be getting a lot of sleep but he might be real charged up based upon his week or Shoffley's won there before is seven too far behind I don't think seven's too far behind. Uh, I mean, my God, you've seen guys come back from seven shots in, on Sundays before not not often but. Um, no, I think that I think the week long grind is makes. I mean, listen. I mean, ten shots back is a lot. That's a lot. You know, seven's a lot too. But I feel like you're talking about four rounds. There's so many things that can happen, Keith. Right. So, uh, and listen, if DJ, you know, say just DJ and Rom have a have a have a bad Friday, you know, or a Saturday, you know, and, and that brings so many guys into the mix. And you mentioned Shoffley. I mean, he's a, he's one of those guys. Kind of like I look like Tony Finau. That's just, I mean, he is so poised and ready to win a big golf tournament. You know, uh, you know, Finau has been he's been in great form, but he just has had problems closing. Shoffley's been right there so often in big events, and he just hasn't closed it yet. So, um, you know, it's interesting you bring that up. And and listen, Rory seven shots back. You know, the way he can put a round together, he can throw a, throw a sixty three at you and. You know, at the blink of an eye. So I don't think seven shots back for, for Rory is too much. You know, I've been talking with some other media guys, and we were discussing some, you know, kind of would you rather questions, we'll say. And one of the interesting was, was would you rather have the career of Brendan Todd or Tony Finau? What do you think about that? Well, yeah, you, and you could go, you know, that's interesting. You could go bigger than, well, bigger than that, the bigger name. Yeah, that's I mean, because I've heard that comp that 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 argument like John Daly, for example, has got a couple of majors versus somebody who's got a bunch of wins, right? And Daly's career has been it, it weird, you know. Well, my point there is that you know everyone picks on Tony for not being a finisher. He's got one win and he's got you know a a, a bunch of money in the bank, right? But then Brendan Todd, he had that tremendous low, but he's got three wins, and you know folks you know lo love to look at him as this great resurrection story, it, it, you know. It's, it's always like kind of this really kind of interesting question of potential versus what would you rather go through? You know, if you had to pick a side, would you want to go as low as Brendan Todd or would you just kind of want to cruise along like Tony Finau? I do not want to go with through what Brendan Todd went through, not having idea, any idea where the golf ball was going. No, I, I don't, I wouldn't. And, and I would take Tony Finau anyway, because just simply because I think his raw talent is just crazy good. 
And I mean, that's a great he's answer. He's obviously younger. Um, and no, I wouldn't. I mean, obviously what Brendan Todd went through has made him stronger and all power to him. He's had a phenomenal year. Um, but uh, I don't think any of us who play golf and we've all gone through our own little, you know, whatever, however minor they are in the grand scheme of things. And you as a pro, uh, I'm sure are much more versed in that than me as a, you know, eight or 10 handicap, you know, guy that slaps it around. But, you know, boy, every time you think you got it, it goes and it goes fast. So um, I wouldn't want to go through what, what Brendan went through. Uh, and I would, but you know, the short answer really for, to my long ramble is I would rather be Tony just because he's, he has as much talent as anybody has out there. And when it does click, you know, he could go crazy. No, man, I, I wanted to have you on today because I want the ramble. I, I want to pick your brain on some of these things. And you talked, you know, you kind of allude to potential with Tony. So I'm going to give you a different one then. Would you rather have DJ's career or would you rather have John Rahm's career? Hmm. Two big names, yeah, right? And Rahm is, well, so certainly Rahm is younger and, and his potential is still, you know, not yet touched. Um, and I, I, I would say DJ's career, because to be honest with you, when you're talking about 20-something wins, I mean, people, again, I, you know, you go to, I go to the top. Sometimes DJ, I don't think he gets the respect, maybe, because he's a bit of an airhead. He, you know, he kind of comes off as a guy that doesn't care much. You know, his whole vibe that he emits, you know, it, you know is kind of one that I think people maybe don't take him as seriously as they should. But, I mean, there ain't many guys out there that won 20-plus golf tournaments, you know. And, I mean, he's already in the Hall of Fame. You know, he has a major in 20 – I don't know, what's he, what's he, 23 now? What, what, I can't remember what the number is offhand. But uh, He's got 22 wins. He's got one major. He's got, like, $68 million in the bank, and he's 36 years old. And he has Paulina Gretzky. Well – you know, um, you know what? That put me the edge. That put me over the edge. I'm I going- don't think John Rahm's hurt in that category either. But I, I love raising these questions, um, especially for somebody like you who has an educated golf mind. Because Rahm's twenty-five, he's got five wins, and he's got twenty-two million in the bank, but he's got no majors. And everyone says, "Well, I'd love to be Rahm because the potential's so great." But if I told you that, let's say, fifteen years from now, he ended up with ten wins in one major, well, then he'd be another Spaniard by the name of Sergio Garcia. Yeah. How did and Sergio you know do? And here's the other thing too. And listen, Sergio has had a has, a very, has had a very very nice career, but he has not had the career that that those of us who cover golf and are around golf expected him to have. And he's thrown a lot away. And you know, I think maturity has been an issue for him. And I think that's something that Rom has really worked on a lot. Um, is kind of his temper and whatnot. He is so young, but you know, there's going to be a time if John doesn't, you know, pick off one of these majors pretty soon where he's going to start to hear about it a lot. You know, I mean, Phil was that first guy, not really the first guy, but he was the first real mainstream guy. I want to say Tom Kite was kind of from going back in my, you know, early my era was that guy that couldn't win a major, you know, that, that, that label that, that comes up. But Phil was really the, the, the poster child for that. And, you know, Ricky's that guy, you know, I mean, Ricky, Ricky Fowler has, you know, I mean, we're, we're only six years removed from him, you know, finishing in the top five in all four majors and he hasn't had a sniff since basically. Right. So, um, and he's a guy with great potential and, and great, you know, visibility and whatnot. So John Rahm is going to start to hear that shortly. He's still young. Right. But if he doesn't pick one of these majors off pretty soon, he's won a couple of big golf tournaments, of course, but you know, you know, we know what everybody's, you know, all the great players are measured by, and that's majors. And, uh, hey, listen, DJ has only one, right? But he also has 22 wins. Yeah, so that, that helps remedy that a, a pretty decent, decent amount. 
Well, as you touched on it so eloquently there, uh, there is this subject of time. And right now, I have to take a little time off. So, Mark, if you would hang on the other line for a second there. Uh, we got to let our sponsors do our thing. Is that all right? That sounds good. Good, good to segue there. I will. Thank you very much. You've done this before, Kate. Once or twice or a hundred times. Well, folks, hey, it's 3.18 p.m. here in New York. Thanks for listening to ESPN 920. Be back in a moment with more insights from Mark Canizzaro. Change the size, but never leave the stream of one permanent sand. The New Jersey Golf Foundation, the charitable arm of the New Jersey PGA section, is committed to positively impacting lives and communities through the game of golf. We are excited to announce that PGA Hope, helping our patriots everywhere, a rehabilitative golf program for military veterans with disabilities, will take place on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. throughout the fall season at Fiddler's Elbow Country Club. To support the NJGF or learn more about the PGA Hope program for military veterans living with physical and cognitive challenges, visit NewJerseyGolfFoundation.org or call 732-465-1212. Rich in distinguished history for nearly 125 years, Springdale Golf Club and its members have been beautifully making their mark as the best golf and social experience in our region. Our impact in the industry does not stop there. Did you know about the benefits that extend beyond the boundaries of the club through its agreement with Troon Purvey, the private club operating division of Troon Golf Management? Springdale's walkable and superbly conditioned William Flynn design course, now combined with Troon's operational expertise, are taking the club to the next level in our commitments to the member experience. Just announced as a significant expansion to the Troon Purvey Privileges Program. This Vanguard service initiative includes enhanced golf and lifestyle benefits that extend far beyond the fairways. For more information about our club and all the incredible moments being made at Springdale Golf Club and through Troon Purvey, please take a visit of our website at www.springdalegc.org forward slash Troon Purvey. Let's get back on course as Springdale Golf Live continues. Once again, Keith Stewart. Welcome back to Springdale Golf Live. I'm your host, Keith Stewart. You know me as the director of fun. And you're listening to the new ESPN 920. You know the day destroys the night. Night divides the day. Try to run, try to hide. It's been an exciting week here at 920, but not nearly as exciting as the action down in Atlanta. As we get back into our discussion with Mark, let's go with a little rock song here this afternoon to set the mood. Come on, Jim, sing it. Dug our treasures there. Back for a quick run around the back nine today with award-winning author, writer, Mark Canizzaro from the New York Post. This season has had some really great stories. And as we continue our tour talk, I want to take a quick look at the field a little closer. You know, Mark, what player will have the next breakthrough moment like Morikawa? You know, looking at the top 10 this week, those guys in the field, you know, they're only six behind DJ at the most. Who's going to be the guy that has their breakthrough moment well, I tell you, there's two names that come, you know, to my mind, and one of them is an interesting dynamic. And I'll bring up Daniel Berger, who's played extremely well this year. He won the first event in the in the tour restart, uh, which I covered down in uh, Texas at the Colonial, and he's played really, really well. And he's not in the Masters in November, which is incredible. I think he's ranked 13th in the world, if I'm not mistaken, in the world rankings. But because of a quirk in the whole 
you know, COVID system that we're in, you know, the guys that were in the Masters were the guys that were in the Masters prior to the restart, so to speak, you know, for the most part. And, uh, you know, he's a guy that's really played extremely well. So I think it would be really kind of an interesting dynamic if he goes and wins the whole shebang, you know, uh, this, this weekend. And obviously it's going to vault his, his world ranking even further. And then you wonder, do the guy, you know, do the the powers that be at Augusta are they going to are they going to let, you know, the FedEx Cup champion who just pocketed fifteen million dollars and is ranked whatever the number is, say the number is set eighth in the world or whatever it would be, um, not play the Masters in, in in a month and a half time? You know, that's going to be very strange. I almost kind of am rooting for that because I like to see what might happen there and what what, what the powers at Augusta may do. But um, I think probably my answer to that really would be would be uh, Bryson DeChambeau because he has really been the talk of, you know, this this COVID restart season, if you will. I think he needs a bigger win to validate, you know, what what he's done for himself. And again, he's young, uh, like we spoke about Rom, for example. But you know, he's been pretty much, he's been pretty out there, right? He's been a very very much a central figure of golf, uh, of golf talk. Um, since the restart in June. So I think he would probably benefit the most in validating what he's done, you know, all the work he's done to his body and, and his game. I think no matter how Bryson comes across, he like, he, like any human being, has a moment where he questions, you know, his conviction on what, everything he's done in the last 12 months to his body and to his game and everything. And for him to win a FedEx Cup would be just – tremendous validation in his mind that he's doing all the right things. And um, it's a cool story. I never thought of it. I See, this is why I wanted you on and I wanted to ask you these kinds of questions because I didn't think of the burger spin being not invited to Augusta in November. And yeah. then if you won 15 million, I mean, that that's just a tremendous kind of outlook there thing that you picked up you know, little insider take. And, and I love that one. I mean, there are some kind of um, stories that I don't think Jay Monahan's rooting for, like Sunjay M or Harris English. You know, I'm, I'm sure he'd love John Rahm to be the next great superstar or something like that. But, you know, all, all kidding aside, Harris English is only six shots off DJ and he's like ranked eighth in the FedEx points. I mean, he's, having a, he's having a great year. He's, uh, he's, you know, I know his caddy pretty well. Eric Larson was a great story in, in and of himself. Uh, who spent some time in jail for selling drugs and, and he's really a great rehab story himself. Um, but, uh, and Harris is a nice guy and, and, but yeah, you're right. I don't think Jay Monahan wants Harris English hoisting the, the chalice at the end of the day, you know, all sports are about star power. And, you know, let's be honest, Tiger Woods, you know, who's been the star in this game for the last two plus decades is going to go away pretty soon. You know, I mean, not, you know, when I'd say go away, but he's, you know, he's, he's not playing on any tournaments. Uh, you know, he's not the face of the tour anymore. And uh, the faces of the tour now are these younger guys. And, and um, you know, we got spoiled with Tiger. You know, I'm, I'm probably opening a can of worms for a whole nother show here, but you know, we got very spoiled with Tiger because you know he was so good for so long and sustained it, and that that is so hard now, as you know, because very much because of how much Tiger elevated the bar. There's so many other good. There's so many so many people gotten so good and got such good condition that it's so much harder to win now and and to 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 be anybody that dominates. And you just don't see that. It kind of goes from hand to hand. If you go, you know, Jordan Spieth had his run. We thought he was, you know, going to be the guy, right? Then Jason Day had a little stretch there. And and we kind of, you know, that, and then, you know, DJ, when he won his major, you know, at Oakmont, 
during that stretch, we weren't sure he was ever going to lose a golf tournament again. And then most recently, it's been Kepka. Now Kepka can't make a cut. He's not even playing this week, right? And obviously, there's some injury issues there too, but still, his form hasn't been good in the last year. So it's so hard to sustain. So I think the tour really wants these guys like Rom, you know, or Morikawa, if he can keep it going. I, I don't say, you know, I think Morikawa is going to be a very steady, great player for a long time. I don't think he's going to be the face of the tour, you know? So, um, yeah, it's, it's all about star power and that, you know, that drives TV ratings and um, yeah, Daniel Berger or, you know, Harris English or even Shoffley or whomever, you know, raising the trophy, you know, they want to see something like DJ winning his third in a row or Rom keeping it going or whatever, you know, that that's what they want to see. Yeah. To put things in perspective, when you use the word sustain, we celebrate DJ for winning one tournament a year for like 15 plus years. And great. Tiger yeah. was winning five tournaments a year. Yeah. Like every other year, you yeah, know, I, it's I, just, I, yeah. it's just a different stratosphere. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I think that I, to me, I think that's one of the most impressive golf stats out there right now is the fact that DJ has won at least one tournament for all these years. Uh, Cause that is freaking hard, you know, I mean, just to stay healthy and do it. Well, you know what, uh, when it comes to week to week, I know one guy that can sustain it. And folks, we are very, very privileged today to be joined by Mark Cannizzaro, award-winning writer from the New York Post. And before we let him go today, I follow you and I keep in touch with your writing, but you also write outside the Post. And I know that just before the big pandemic pause, that there was a book coming out. And I was really looking forward to this book because who doesn't love a good writer's perspective on what goes on at Augusta, behind the scenes, an insider's take. So could you tell my listeners a little bit about your book, Seven Days in Augusta? Yeah, Keith, it's it's a project I did uh, about the year plus leading into the this what was going to be this past Masters in April. It came out in March, you know, uh, and hoping to get a little nice momentum. So I'm, I, I'm, I haven't been blessed with great timing, nor have many of us here in, in you know, the COVID age. But it, it was a cool project because I, I wanted to – I wrote the book trying to bring the reader to Augusta for the for Masters week because it's the hardest ticket in sports. It's it's you know it's almost can become to me for this for the sports fan and the golf fan almost this kind of mythical week. You know what's Masters week like? What's it like inside Augusta National and things like that? So I just tried to you know it's 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 got a lot of short quick chapters about the things that I see every week. You know this is my twenty fifth Masters that I covered actually nineteen ninety. 2019 when Tiger won was my 25th Masters and uh, so I've seen 25 of them and and you know there's just so many cool inside things you see what's the butler cabin look like inside you know like that I, I, w I covered eight Masters before I even knew where the butler cabin was you know, I mean, I, I didn't even know where it was, you know. And so one day I, I set up and up with Jim Nance to go sit down with Jim Nance in the butler cabin. And I sat in those two chairs that you see on TV that Sunday night of, of Augusta, of Masters Week. Uh, so I just and, – and, and mixed into that is some golf, certainly some of the great things I've seen. Tiger in 97, you know, and Phil winning his first major in 04. Tiger certainly in 19. I did a chapter on that. And some of the collapses, the Norman in 1996, Norman and the, and and Nick Faldo and 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 it, you know it just it was a really fun project to do because I try to touch a little bit of everything, and w along with some offbeat stuff, you know, the, the Champions Dinner and what goes on under the. Have you been to a Masters, Keith, or no? Yes, I've been to two of them. 
So you know, so I, I did an entire chapter, for example, under I just under the oak tree. You know, is that's like you know the, the mo- most TV watchers that watch the Masters, they have no idea that this gigantic oak tree right outside of the of the everything goes on. The movers and the shakers in the golf world are all under that gigantic oak adjacent to the first the first tee box and 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 the, and the clubhouse. So I just try to touch on some interesting different things along with some of the things you've seen on TV and, and as a viewer. But also some of the, you know, kind of uncovered some of the things that you don't know about it. So, you know, I hopefully I, I brought that to the table and that was the goal with the book. Well, there's no doubt that you can write, uh, you know, basically unlike any other, you know, just like the Masters is a tradition unlike any other. And I'm going to check it out because having been to a couple Masters, there's certain things that are just so special about the atmosphere there. It's the world's best run tournament. And I am a PGA professional and, and, I, and I'd love to say, hey, the PGA championship is the second best world's run tournament. But, you know, the Masters is, is truly, truly a special, special place. And I'm sure you have encapsulated that. And hey, you know, I appreciate you taking the time today. I, you know, I know you have a busy schedule heading into jet season as well as the tour championship this weekend. It, it was so good for my fans to have a New York writer here on a New York show to talk a little golf talk a little pop culture and to have some fun at the same time so i hope you had a good time today mark i did thank you very much keith thanks for having me on all right well you know as jay monahan announced 50 tournaments coming next year in the 2021 season hopefully we can have you back to talk about golf some more someday anytime anytime man Spending time with Mark is great, but you know what else is great? Are the wonderful sponsors and supporters that we have here on Springdale Golf Live. There's TaylorMade Golf, the New Jersey Golf Foundation. Of course, there's B-Draddy, Fairway and Green, Zero Restriction, EP New York. We know them as Summit Golf Brands, F.H. Wadsworth. Wade Weezer, tremendous job on the board today. I believe Bob Iger approves. Springdale Board of Governors, thank you for all your support. Troon Golf Management for everything you do at Springdale each and every day. And most importantly, our listeners. You know what, folks? You know where I'm heading. I'm heading to Springdale. Where are you headed? We'll let the tower be your guide. And from Princeton to Eastlake, and of course, everywhere online, may you all have a Springdale day. Thanks for joining us for today's show. Return to the tee next Friday at 3 with Keith Stewart and Springdale Golf Live.